My guest today is Bob Lachance, a nationally recognized speaker, mentor, and trainer who specializes in helping customers build their businesses through automation and outsourcing. Bob currently owns four businesses and helps start one of the nation's largest real estate coaching programs. A Bristol, Connecticut native, Bob played ice hockey and went on to play at Boston University, playing a vital role in their 1995 national championship. With only two classes left to graduate in his senior year, he dropped out of school and signed a professional contract with the St. Louis Blues organization. Bob went on to play eight years professionally, four years in the U.S. and four years in Europe. Revo Global is a company that helps real estate agents use virtual assistants to help them streamline their processes and about how using virtual assistants really freed up a lot of his time and really expanded his business. You're going to enjoy this episode, especially if you're in the real estate market and are looking for ways to expand your business and free up more of your time and be more productive. As always, thanks for listening. Now sit back and enjoy my conversation with Bob Lachance from Reba Global. Guest today is Bob Lachance. He's the founder and CEO of Reba Global, which is a virtual assistant staffing company in the real estate arena, which I thought was really interesting that you um, niched it down really tight like this because there are, are a lot of virtual assistant companies out there these days. Um, and the fact that you, you were smart enough to stay within your wheelhouse when you started this, I guess, is that a, is that a fair statement? <laughs> that is, that is absolutely fair. Thanks for having me on your podcast. Yeah, man. I'm really excited to talk to you because I, in my own business and I, I'm not going to take us off track, but I am struggling at that point right now where I had a team before COVID and then um, those, those four people ended up having to be laid off because nothing was happening for a fair amount of time and um, put a lot of effort into training, you know, everybody. And uh, so now I'm back at the position where, okay, do I bring somebody back on again? And, and obviously it would all be remote because it's just gotten so good, um, you know, doing remote work, but is it, do I, do I bring someone on or do I go the virtual assistant route? But before we talk about my problems, <laughs> I want, I want to, um, I kind of want to, it's important for me because this podcast is, is to inspire entrepreneurs in all various ways. And so the important thing for me is I, I like people to understand who you are and, and how you got to where you are today. Now, uh, obviously, you know, in, in, in the show notes, it's going to talk about you playing at Boston University and winning a national championship and, and playing eight years as a professional hockey player, which are all amazing, you know, things. And I'm a huge hockey fan, so I, I love it. Um, but I want to start earlier than that. I want to know about what your what and obviously to, to reach the level you did as a as a professional hockey player. Hockey was a big part of your life growing up. You don't become who you you are by just all of a sudden gaining an interest at it late. I, I know hockey moms that drive their kids all over the country. So I know it starts really <laughs> early. Um, was, was that your first and, and only love when you grew up? And, and, and do you, you know, is there any regret on how hard you had to work and how much other stuff you might've missed having to just constantly practice and, and go to tournaments and things like that? Yeah, you know, that's actually a great question. Um, I mean, I loved every sport. I played basketball. I played baseball. I played soccer. I played hockey. So those are, those are, and I even tried football. So until I got my, okay. until I got my clock cleaned one time against the, uh, the, the junior Steelers <laughs> there when, you I was go. Playing, when I was playing line and I was tiny. But anyway, that's besides the point. But, uh, you know, growing up is actually pretty interesting. Every sport, um, I had two other brothers, two older brothers, and, you know, we were just, we we're just outside all the time, consistently doing everything and doing, um, obviously fun sports. We were, We'd have uh, races in the backyard. We're extremely competitive. My oldest uh, brother is an entrepreneur now. My middle brother um, was number four draft pick actually in the world um, and played in the NHL for, I think, 14 years. So I had 
I had some pretty good um, mentors or older brothers I was trying to keep up with. So um, that was a big part of us growing up. And just to, to anchor to your question about, you know, did I feel that I missed anything growing up? I don't. Um, you know, I look at every day, it, even when I was a kid, I look at everything kind of the same. Um, I have fun in everything that I do, even if it's a grind, um, even if, you know, you get your butt kick in a game, uh, you come back and you have another game, you have another game. And I take a lot yeah. of pride out of, um, you know, when you do fail, it's getting back up and going back to work, putting your boots back on. And, um, you know, there's always another day to win a game or lose a game or get better. So I always had that mindset just because of obviously how I grew up. I had two great loving parents, uh, fortunate with that. Uh, my father was a contractor. My mother was more of a stay at home uh, mother growing up. But, uh, you know, I saw my father going to work every single day and working extremely hard, you know, 100 degree heat or below zero weather. And he put his boots on, went to work every single day to put food on our table. So that was, you know, those were the role models I had, which I'm very, very fortunate for that. Um, and then you, you fast forward, obviously, growing up to high school, um, once hockey really got serious, um, there's a lot of stuff that I did miss. I missed parties. I missed, you know, social gatherings. But I really didn't feel like I was really missing out because I always had my eye on the ball. Uh, my goal was to uh, get a full scholarship to college, wherever that was, and also make the NHL. So I always had that kind of tunnel vision to push off a lot of the, you know, now in the business world, it's naysayers, it's, it's social media, it's, it's shiny object syndrome. So we had all of that growing up, but it was just a, a matter of staying focused on what your goal was. So um, my parents obviously helped very, very much on staying focused on those goals. And obviously having older brothers, mentors uh, helped out a lot on staying focused. So a lot of growing up uh, is a lot of stuff that we go through as business owners today. So I don't know if I answered your question, but um, it's just a little bit about me. Yeah, no, it's, it's, I think it's important because I think there's a misconception that, you know, you and I and other entrepreneurs, there was something that was magical that happened and we became these people, right? We, we had the guts to be out on our own and to have to worry about putting food on the table and, and making money. And I, and I think it's important. And that's what's always important when I have a guest on is that all walks of life have become entrepreneurs. And I like to know the backstory because they're all so completely different. And I don't want anybody to think that, you know, it's, there's a certain mold that can only become an entrepreneur. I want people that are sitting on the sidelines going, man, I really want to do this thing. And I just don't think I have it in me or I'm not made. I'm not, I wasn't made to be that type of person. And so the goal of this podcast is to try to get those people to realize that it literally anybody can do this. And, and I've even heard you speak on other podcasts where, yep. you know, it, it's the same thing that I think of. You have to take the action, right? You have to put one foot in front of the next and then you're off and running. So um, that's why I like people to understand who you are and where you came from. So real quick, where did you grow up? Uh, I grew up in Bristol, Connecticut. And I, I could dig into that point a little more for to, just so I could, um, because it'll make more sense. I mean, I, I never grew up as a, I didn't grow up with a silver spoon in my mouth. I, we were as blue collar as they get. Right. So I did not, I didn't grow up as a, yep. a business owner. My father did own a contracting company, but I, I wanted nothing to do with anything. It was just sports. And even when I played, um, you know, played sports in professionally as well, you know, you don't learn that much about the business world at all. You know, I was a, a fun-loving kid. I enjoyed hanging out at the bars. I enjoyed, you know, sit, sitting in the locker room and, and just talking nonsense, right? That's what you do when you, when you play sports. And my last four years, I was in Europe, which, you know, the, the individuals that I was going to do business with, those kids were not talking about, you know, how to make money in business. It was just, hey, what are you going to do, you know, after we're done practicing, what are you going to do in the summer? It didn't have anything to do with, hey, you're going to take an internship at this financial institution. It was nothing like that. It was saying, what's your next contract? So when I decided to actually make the jump out of sports, it was not easy. So I had, you know, I left school two classes early before I got my degree. So it's not like I could have 
leaned on a Boston University degree. So, um, you know, no matter what, if there's anyone listening to this that has a, a question of, you know, what happens life after uh, the, the industry that you are in or have been in, there's always ways. It's, it's hard work that gets you through it. Um, you know, I had no formal education in business. I just had a, a, a work ethic and I, you know, I had some mentors around me that helped push me and just keep me going when tough, when times got tough. So it's, it's not the easiest when you move from industry to industry, but if you have the right mindset and you have the right drive focus, um, you could do anything you want. I don't care what business it in. People make money and every, I'm looking at my desk right now. There's probably about a million different businesses that, you know, put, put together all the pieces on my desk right now. So there's a lot of different ways to make money, but it takes focus, takes hard work and dedication to what you're doing. Yeah. I appreciate you, um, you know, drilling that point in a little bit more because I think people that are sitting on the sidelines need to hear that. And, or those that have taken the jump and might be having a bad day when they're listening to this, they need to know that, you know, you just got to push through it and, and you'll, you'll make it. And it's just, it's a, it's a tough thing. And, but if we go back to you and we go back to sports and the mentality that it takes to, do what you did. I think, and I knew some professional football players when um, I was going to school out in Western New York, we had some Buffalo Bills football players that were friends and you guys work your entire life at such an early age on such a single focus that it's, it, it can become devastating if things don't work out. And, and I don't, I think that's even harder than being an entrepreneur. I it, personally, I think of yeah. how hard, like, you know, you're always, and I've heard you say this on some pocket, you know, like, what's next year for me, right? It's that kind yeah. of thing. It's, and so I think it's really, really hard to be a professional athlete. And I, and I, it just, I, I wanted to kind of make that point because entrepreneurship is not that tough. When, it, when you compare the two, I think it's tough, but when you compare the two, I do not think it's that tough. Yeah. And, and it's actually interesting you say that because um, there was an event. Um, I was I was helping run an event in, uh, this is in San Diego, probably eight years ago, nine years ago. And I saw um, a buddy of mine back in college. So he's a football player back in, at, at Boston University. And just out of the blue, he's at the event. Um, and I just got off stage speaking and He's like, Bob, I'm like, yeah, Pablo, what's up? I haven't seen you in, I don't know, 20 years in school or however it is, 15, 20 years. And we end up talking about life after sports. He's like, man, he goes, you know what? He goes, when you're done playing, you go through a little state of depression and, and not like the depression of like really depressed, depressed. It's just when you're done playing that sport, it's very difficult to find your team again, your, you know, your, your why, if you will. So I do agree playing professional sports. And then when it's life after that, you flounder a bit, right? And it's okay. There's nothing wrong with it. It's our job, obviously, um, to find our next, I guess, team. Because if you grow up with a team all your life, it's finding that whatever that crew is that you, um, that you need to find to, to, you know, to get back in the ring, if you will. So I think being a, being a professional athlete, is is very difficult when you do the transition rather than if you're an entrepreneur you're going from business to business because business in my opinion is easy right you can start a business any day of the week you just got to go to the secretary of state office and start an llc right but of course it takes a lot yep. more than that yep. but um the transition from business to business is a lot easier than transition from sports to whatever you're going to do next Yep. So let's get into, uh, I, I have to ask this question just because, uh, I, I, it's a selfish, uh, it's a selfish thing. <laughs> I want to know what your parents said when you got asked to basically leave school, uh, to take, you know, to go and, and play with the, um, St. Louis blues. Uh, how, how did that go off? Uh, for them, it was very easy. Cause that was one, my, my father's goal was actually to have every one of us get a full scholarship, which sounds insane to me even growing up you know when i was uh, after um my middle brother right. myself got a full scholarship at the boston university 
I was still saying, dad, that you are insane. How did you ever set that goal? And he's like, you know what? Um, when I was younger, that was a passion of mine to try to get you guys, you know, focused. And that's what his why was. So I'm like, all right, I guess so. Now I'm a parent of three kids. So I understand. So, you know, so I understand <laughs> that side of it, but, um, they were all for it. Um, you know, they, they knew that, uh, our goals, were to make the NHL. And obviously my brother was already there uh, being number four draft pick in the world. So that was pretty cool. And I already saw that. So having the opportunity to, you know, jump in to potentially play in the NHL was something that my parents knew They're, they were never going to hold me back on saying, Hey, you know, wait one more year or, you know, don't sign that contract and finish those two classes before you actually do. So they're 100% for it. That's awesome. Okay. So now, again, because I, I've done some of my research, I know that after hockey, it seems like your, your motivation for getting into business quickly was because you, you, you've said over and over, you did not want to go back to school. Correct. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. That, that was a driving factor. You know, we have, I had a lot of buddies that were, you know, eight, nine years ahead of me. Right, they had their they had their degree. We're in banking and financial industry, and I knew that um, if I got my degree, somebody would potentially own me. Like if I got a good job, I'm making a hundred grand, two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars in sales. I would. It's very very difficult for any individual to back away and then start their own business because you're taking a lot of gold, a lot of chips off the table. And I know that's a lot of people have a very difficult decision saying if they're making. You know, if they have golden handcuffs in a job, but they're extremely miserable, very difficult for them to say, hey, you know, what? I'm going to give that up to try to start my own business. So I, I took those chips off the table right away, you know, take away that temptation. So I decided to bet on myself. And so how uh, I, I think I heard this from a previous podcast, but I don't remember how you chose real estate. Yeah. Uh, well, I read a bunch of books um, towards my career and I knew it was kind of coming to an end. I had my first uh, child and my wife was living in, in U the United States and I was living in Europe. So I had to get into an industry that had zero barriers of entry and everything that kept coming up was real estate. So I'm like, all right, you know, uh, rich dad, poor dad said, everyone can make money. So might as well jump in. So that was a decision I made. That's so funny. He, he, he actually goes to my gym. Robert. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. And, and I haven't had the nerve yet to go up to him and um, ask him to be on the podcast only because I haven't completely finished his book. So I don't want to, <laughs> I, I want to make sure I can say to him, I read your book and I loved it or whatever my opinion would be and then be able to ask him. So that's pretty that's funny. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so you go through this whole iteration of, I, I, I heard the funny story, uh, how you, you found a house and you put a bid in on it. You got it um, for the, <laughs> ask, the price you asked. And then you looked at your wife and you're like, you know, wow, all of a sudden you're now in the real estate, you know, business. And I guess the goal was to, to flip houses, right? That was the, you've, yeah. you've done over 800 proper or transactions. I don't know if those are all flipping, but I, I would say that that's a, a hell of a lot of real estate um, deals that you've gone through. So you've mastered this part of it. And um, I guess that's what has fed you to, or at least your brain to say, you know, if I can come up with the systems, right? Cause the systems are the, are the real, real deal to make yep. you, uh, be really efficient in what you do and not, not wear you down. Um, so when did you decide that you needed a virtual assistant? You know, it's funny. So I, um, it's going back when I started back in 2004. Um, I did that first deal, like you said, by myself. And then I, uh, met an individual who actually we were business partners for 10 years. And then during that time, we helped start a couple real estate education programs. And one of them, um, one of them is fortune builders company. That's really good size. And at, at its heyday was probably the top of the top of the, the education companies. And we were going through probably 20, 30, 40,000 students. And there's a common theme that kept coming up while working with students. It was, you know, they were either working part-time or working full-time or had a, a, a really robust company and they needed more help in their business that was affordable. Um, so it was either they needed more time, they needed 
to scale or they need to become more efficient. And then in 2013, I got introduced to what a virtual assistant was. I didn't know. Be 100% transparent. Yeah. I had no idea. It was more prevalent in the real estate agent world, like doing transactions, coordinating, all that kind of cool stuff, but not in the real estate investing world. So, um, you know, I, I hired my first virtual assistant in 2013, and then light bulb went on because I helped start a couple education programs and putting the training behind it. And I said, what if we could take the training that we created for you know, real estate investors here and educate and train virtual assistants in a different country? Would there be a business there? So I tested it, uh, 2014, tested it for two years. And then, um, lo and behold, it was actually a very, a very needed, uh, business, if you will, or, um, industry out there. So, uh, that was it. And then it took off from there. So that sounds like a difficult process in the sense that, uh, you know, I know that a lot. I mean, I, looking through your website and, and I, and I saw, um, is it, do you say her name is Georgie or just George or? Yeah, George. Okay. Yep. Um, and, and I understand that the Philippines is a big location or resource for people that are virtual assistants, right? Um, yep. so was, was that the first market you decided to test and, and be knowing that that seems to be the hub? Yeah, so I tried different countries and, and it kept, kept me going back to the Philippines. Um, English is phenomenal. It's one of the primary languages um, in that country as well. A lot of people don't know that. So um, in the, the Philippine culture, the Philippine people are phenomenal, very family oriented, loving. Like your business is their business. There's a lot of, a lot of uh, incredibly positive things with the Philippine culture that mirror what we have here in the United States. So um, I decided to, you know, like you said, it's not easy. Of course, there's a lot of stuff that you have to go through, um, working with, um, the Philippine, you know, LLCs and businesses and banks and things like that. There's a lot of stuff behind the scenes that a lot of people don't see to run, you know, to run a business. Um, but you need a great team. Um, I say this all the time. You're only as good as your team. And we put a lot of emphasis. Um, I think it's really, really important to get the right people for your team, because in the end, um, you know, if you have one happy customer, you want a hundred happy customers. If you have one, um, disgruntled customer, you know, social media is there. So we put a lot of emphasis on customer service and having the best, the best training, the best placement, the best operations in the, in the whole industry. So we put a lot of pride into that and, and, um, every single day, we put hours and hours and hours of, of improvement on our business. So based on the fact that you had created this educational piece of this ahead of creating the virtual assistant company, you had uh, a way to actually have someone like George find these people in the Philippines and train them on the processes of what a virtual assistant to a real estate professional would be like. Correct. Yeah. So we set up, so we had, like I said, um, so we had the, in, we had the help of getting everything set up. So it all has to do with setting up the proper, uh, sourcing and recruiting team, uh, then the, the proper training team. And then we have a placements department and then operations. And there's obviously HR and accounting and things like that. So yeah. So we had all of that. Um, had, we had to set it up, test it hire um, and make sure that it was the right, like you said this earlier, the right system um, to be able to, you know, stay ahead of, I mean, you see what's going on right now in the world right now, there's a lot of outsourcing going on with um, a lot of different industries. So it's really important for, you know, your teams. So that's why we have a bunch of teams and departments over in the Philippines to make sure that they are the best of the best. So hundred percent. Yeah. And the issue really right now is that you can't hire people like there are mm -hmm. there's no one available. And, and I it still is confusing to me why that is, except that people have possibly left the, quote, workforce and have gone out on their own. COVID said, you know, it was like a slap in the face saying, why am I working for the man or the golden handcuffs? Right. Why don't I go and do that thing that I've always wanted to do? I'm not sure what the reason behind it is, but 
everybody's struggling to find people to to be on their teams. Yeah, yeah, and it, it's not only it's not only the real estate industry, right? You have my wife runs our medical division. She owns she's a Reva Global Medical, and she launched that uh, about two years ago. And the medical medical offices are having very challenging times as well. So it's not only the real estate industry, the medical industry; it's everybody, you know, everyone you talk to. Um, we're hiring in house. We have a real estate company as well in-house. Um, I think we're up to 10 people, but we're looking to hire every single day for some in-house individuals because we use yeah, between, I don't know exactly how many VAs we use in our own business, which we could get into that later. But um, it's the, the, the in-house hiring uh, between, that's why a lot of people now are picking um, and going with the virtual assistant route because of the fact that you just stated it's very difficult, very difficult to hire right now. Yep. So just to have the overall landscape of what your, not, I don't want to say your daily day is, but like what encompasses all that you're involved in. So you have, you have Reba Global, which is the virtual assistant side of things. And then you just mentioned about the real estate piece. So what are all the businesses that you currently have? Because I want the listeners to understand that you're not just coming from this as maybe the educational side or just the virtual assistant side, but you're still very much involved in day-to-day real estate transactions. I, I want them to understand that, you know, you're doing all of these things, which, yep. which builds a confidence of like, okay, this isn't just some company that this guy decided to create a, a company about virtual assistants, taught them sort of the systems that you go through when you're doing transactions in real estate and you're not really um, in the thick of it because I know you are. So I would, I would like to know all of that. You're all of the things that you're doing. Yeah, for sure. It's a, it's pretty interesting. So, you know, like I said, I started in 2004 and then recently about, I think it's about 11 months ago, I decided not to work in the real estate education space anymore and put more emphasis and time into uh, Riva global and my real estate business. So, um, so that has freed up some time for me, but how it looks, and I've always been, um, actually, let me take a step back because this is important. I just thought of something. If you realize the virtual assistant company started, it wasn't a shiny object. It started from something I was doing. It's almost like the, the supermarket model, right? When you're going to the supermarket, uh, I don't know if a lot of people know this, but in the interior of a supermarket is about 2 to 3% margins. The money's made on the perimeter. So a lot of businesses, <laughs> yeah, a lot of businesses, the money's made on the perimeter. Supermarket, same thing. You got the bakery, you got the, you know, you, you, you got um, uh, meats, you got all that kind of stuff on the outside, right? Flowers and all that kind of good stuff. That's about a 30 plus percent um, uh, profit margin. So same thing. If you look at what I did, I was real estate investor first, got into education, all within the same kind of supermarket, if you will. And then I started a virtual assistant company. So it's not shiny object syndrome where I'm just jumping all over the place. Everything kind of built on top of each other. Um, and they were, they were, they were, um, kind of married to each other. So when I, you know, really stepped foot in, in put a lot of emphasis on my virtual assistant company, I'm the type of person where I have, I really think that if anybody is out there promoting anything that they have, they should use their own product or service. Um, there's a lot of people out there that don't, but I, you know, for those of you who really know me, um, you know, I truly believe that you should use your own, your own, whatever it is, but service or product. So for me, I use my virtual assistants to do so many things within my real estate business. So when someone asks me, Hey, you know, how are you using a virtual assistants in your own business? And you know, how, how successful is your business? I could tell them and I could show them if they want. So I'm very transparent that way. I want to make sure that everybody, you know, everybody knows that um, and sees that. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. I, and I want to dig into that a little deeper because the, I, I think, at least for me, I'm going to speak for myself, is that the fear of, of giving a process whether even if it's system system ties, right? Even if it's it's really laid out, and to give that to somebody and and ask them to do it and and sit back and hope that it gets done properly is a scary thing as an entrepreneur. So, yes. what? How do you pick and choose what you do 
give to virtual assistants and and if you can give us examples of what they might be doing for you in your own business now yes yeah i mean there's income producing tasks and non-income producing tasks in every business right so you look at different tasks so the best thing to do and, and i'll anchor this back to real estate as well but if you look you can look at your calendar right for you personally if you're if you're going to be publishing podcasts you know, you make your money doing the podcast. It's not the hours and hours of work after you can hand that up to somebody else while you continue to build your business or get more individuals on your podcast. That'd be, that'd be kind of an example of, you know, th- this world that we're talking about right now. So same thing when we do our podcast, we do our podcast and we jump off and, and we have our virtual assistants handle the rest. So that would be an example. But in my real estate business, we use them uh, to cold call. Right. So a lot of a lot of our virtual assistants are on the phone all day long and they're also text messaging. They're taking calls in. They're following up with old leads. So an example would be and I don't know if, if um, anyone listening to this has ever actually cold called. Cold calling is a um, is a very tiresome activity. And over time, you'll realize a lot of times you get worn out. So that's the first thing. It, it, and it's a great thing to actually outsource. But what I mean by cold calling, and this is a really important point, as a real estate investor in a lot of these different companies, to drive leads, you first want a prospect to just say, yes, I'm interested. That's all you need. So that's all I'm looking for with my virtual assistants because they're on the phone all day long. I want that, yes, I'm interested to come over to our acquisition team who is here in the United States sitting in our real estate office. And it's their job because they're on commission to turn that into a contract as an example. And then we have a team of virtual assistants because we have, I think we got over 30 leads just yesterday alone. So we have a lot of following up to do because what you realize when you're in business and you start having a team in the real estate investing side, um, sometimes uh, your acquisition team will cherry pick the best leads. And then before you know it, if you're getting 30 leads per day, now you're going to have thousands of leads in your database that have not been followed up because there's a lot of gold that's in there. That never happens. (laughs) (laughs) Never, right? Never, never. never. (laughs) So, so I don't want to interrupt you. So continue or, or then I'm going to ask another question after that. So, all right. Absolutely. So then, so that's how we use our virtual system. We also have other tasks. Um, We have transaction coordinating as well making sure the deal comes to close. We have virtual assistants that do some pretty cool um, scraping with pre-foreclosure lists. They log into our judicial. We're in Connecticut. I live in Connecticut. So we have a judicial website. They log in. They scrape all of those um, individuals that are um, behind on their mortgage. And then they skip trace them, get the phone number, call them to see if they're interested in selling. And then they pass them off. So there's a lot of cool stuff behind the scenes that they do on, on data scraping as well. Um, so anyway, that's a little bit how I use virtual assistant in my business. And we have, you know, we have clients that use them for bookkeeping. They use them for property management. They use them for, you know, real estate agent tasks, like transaction coordinating, et cetera. So I'm out in, uh, Arizona, I'm in Phoenix, but I, I used to live in Scottsdale, but if you literally walked outside right now and <laughs> threw a, a rock in any direction, you would hit a real estate agent. So, and, and I think about how, you know, especially right now with the market being so crazy and, and the house is up for hours instead of weeks or months these days. And, um, so the amount of work that has to get done so that you can just keep staying out there in front of clients, it must be enormous. And I can only think that having virtual assistants to do some of these tasks would be if someone can get over the fear of handing those things off. And I think for me, that fear still exists internally and I have to get over it because mm-hmm. I, I just have to give it a try and, and see what works and what doesn't work. And there might be things that simply can't be handled by a virtual assistant, but until I try, I would never know. Um, <laughs> And Joe, Joe, I actually have that same fear as well. A lot of people do, but the way, the way you get over that, you say, okay, if somebody could do it 70% as good as me and I don't have to do that task anymore, I can go do another task. 
take a look at what that 70% actually will get you. So I'll give you an example of full call. If you don't have to pick up a phone and just sit on a dialer all day long to drive in leads, and somebody could do it 70% as good as you, that means instead of 10 leads, you'll get seven. I'll take seven all day long if I don't have to sit on a phone all day just trying to gauge seller motivation. So that that's, in my own mind, that's how I could justify not being the one to do it. Also, there's so many tasks for us as business owners that we have to focus on. So income producing tasks would more be like, all right, I'm going to raise money. I'm going to, depending on what industry you're in, right? Am I going to build my buyer's list uh, to sell my properties? Am I going to raise money for a syndication? Like, what is it that I am going to do that's going to, in the end, put more money in my pocket? So that's the way, for me, I look at it. Um, and that's the way a lot of our clients, when I walk through that kind of that kind of um, example, they're like, ah, you know what? You're right. 70%, 80% is way better than me having to do it in the long run. Right. And you actually had a great point because I was going to ask you, do you, uh, I would assume you walk through a process with potentially new clients and is part of that process saying to them, Hey, let's make a, you know, like you have a, I, and I'm just guessing, do you have a process that says, Hey, this is an income producing task. This is like, can you, do you make them sort of create a list so that you can help identify where a virtual assistant can help them? Absolutely. And and it's very important to write down, you get the bigger view, kind of the bigger kind of picture saying, okay, um, what is your biggest pain point? So the, the first thing I would do is write down what your biggest pain point is in your business. Because if it's not, if it's, it doesn't have to be real estate investing, it could be the medical world, it could be whatever it is, right? But we all have pain points. So I would identify first what that pain point is. And then if you take that off your plate, think, think about this. If you take any big pain point off your plate, you have 10 times more energy because that pain point there is it, it, it saps your energy. Every, every entrepreneur is the same. You just, you have stuff on your, on your to-do list and, you know, it keeps getting pushed down further and further and further down your list because you're like, ah, I want to do it. I'll give you another perfect example. Um, when I first started posting on social media, I took a course and like, oh, you got to post on social media. You got to do this. I'm like, I was all fired up. I got back home and then an event and I started posting Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then Thursday I had something come up, didn't post on Thursday, Friday post. Next week, I missed two days. Before you know it, I'm missing five out of seven days of posting. So that's just an example. Because now, if you're not branding out there, like you said, in the Phoenix market, you have to be out there all the time. You have to separate yourself or try to separate yourself because there's a lot of there's a lot of individuals and competitors out there that are trying to take your business. So if you're not out there, um, you know someone else is. So that's a great uh, that's a great task to take off your plate and have a virtual assistant just always update your social media. If you have a new listing or you have a new property under contract, you know, blast it out on all these different social sites. So that's just a, it's a small thing. It just made me think of um, some of the things that we talk about a lot uh, with investors or agents or business owners. Yeah. Social media will beat you up. It is so <laughs> hard to stay ahead and on top of it. And it just, it's difficult when you're running a business and you're looking at, you know, just income generating things that you're doing, but then you don't realize that that literally at this point is your marketing arms and you can't let that fall by the wayside. Yep, correct. I mean, you can't, it's, it's yeah. branding and marketing, right? The branding side, the marketing side, it's all, it all comes together. Yep. So in just so that when the listeners, um, you, you know, someone is listening to this and they go through it, what are the type of, the, do your virtual assistants work for any type of real estate person or, or is it concentrated on um, homes or is it, is it, can you do commercial? Is it all the same product? Cause I have, I'm, I wish I was in real estate because th- those of you who are, are the only ones that are constantly ever making money in this world. So uh, I, I'll take any tips and tricks you want to give me, but um, are you, is it the, do your virtual assistants work for any sort of real estate type persons? Yes. Yeah. So any property manager, it doesn't matter if it's, so we have some property managers that have sent like bigger units, um, hundred units, 200, 300 units that hire our virtual assistants to deal with, you know, a lot of the maintenance calls, a lot of the, 
it's called mainline. So you're taking tenant complaints, you're talking to owners that actually own some of those properties or syndicators, if you will. Um, we have virtual assistants that do leasing, lease renewals, collections, things like that. Um, that's on the property management side. They also do, you know, they do some acquisitions as well, like pulling lists of rental properties, uh, whether they're you know, out of state owners, et cetera, and skip tracing, texting and calling um, and following up as an example. Real estate agents, um, they do everything from contract to close. Um, so they do different stuff on listings. Uh, they do stuff on pre-listings. They do stuff on transaction coordinating, um, anything along those lines. And obviously in the real estate investor side, um, you know, prepping contracts, making offers, uh, cold calling, texting, following up, um, you know, social media posting. So a bunch of those things that, so that, that runs the gamut on real estate investing. It doesn't matter if you, you know, you do, um, mobile homes or you do single family or multifamily, all the tasks kind of roll up into one. Okay. So it is sort of the same that, you know, there are tasks that exist across all of those various types of real estate transactions. Correct. Right. Correct. And it's, I mean, if you, if you really look at it on the lead generation side, it is, it really, if you want to boil it down to a very simple kind of formula, it is getting a list, getting records of potential uh, individuals that you could contact to see if they're motivated. So it starts with that list. Then it starts with getting a phone number for that list. And then it's, and then the next step would be contacting and connecting with those individuals, whether it's, you know, phone calls or however, uh, the direct mail or text messaging or whatever. And then it's getting those potential motivated leads over to your acquisition team or to you if you run your own acquisition. So in essence, it's really the kind of same concept. Mortgage, mortgage companies do that in the mortgage world. Right. Right. It's the same yep. concept of, you know, mortgages, real estate insurance, too, is the same same exact concept on um, driving leads, starting with a list, getting the number, driving leads, whether it's a number or email. Right. And then getting the, the individual to raise their hand. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So I understand it now. Um, so here's a big question. How did you get Beth to come on board? <laughs> Oh, that's pretty, that's, that's pretty interesting. Um, I actually went through a business partner breakup back in 2018, which is a blessing in disguise. Um, probably the best. And, and it wasn't obviously at the time it was very challenging to, um, cause that's a story behind a, behind another story, but we'll get into that now. <laughs> we'll get into that now, but, and, and just so everybody knows, Beth is, is your wife who was in medical sales, surger, surgical devices, right? Uh, medical sales? Yep. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Correct. For yep. a long so time. So she's... 20, yeah, 22 for a, years? Yeah. A long, yeah, a long time. Um, yeah. yeah, incredible. Now she's my business partner. But in 2018, um, you know, out of the blue, went through a business partner breakup. Tough to get out of it. Um, but it is what it is. So uh, Beth quit her job, jumped on board right away, and... Um, you know, everything from there, obviously we had to, to uh, kind of dig out of that challenge. I know a lot of people probably listen to this. I've gone through some similar stuff, um, but you know, she was fantastic. And, and one of the, the reasons why we got out of it and now one of the reasons why we're doing incredible, she, uh, she actually launched a medical division side that's doing extremely well on top of what we're, what we're doing. So that's who uh, my wife is. That's Beth. Her name is Beth. Perfect. So, because of this expansion with Beth doing this, do you see Riva Global eventually removing the, the words real estate in front of virtual assistants and expanding to other expertise as you see the need for it? Or are, do you think that the medical branch that Beth has brought to the business would be the only extension that you would do? Uh, right now, um, I mean, you, you could go any, you could, you could go anywhere really with the foundation that we built. Right now, our focus is real estate and on medical. Um, there's a very big opportunity for us in medical um, because of, again, we spent a lot of time and spent a lot of resources on the foundation of our business and making sure that the foundation is extremely steady to be able to, to build off of it. And I think we've done a really, really good job of that. We continue to do it, like I said earlier, uh, on a daily basis. And, 
in, in, in every business, you're only as good. And I said this before, you're only as good as your team. So um, we put a lot of emphasis on hiring the right people. And I think, you know, every day that um, we hire new people, new individual support and virtual assistants, we're doing a better job every day, which is obviously the goal of every business. So um, those are the two that we are focusing on today. But hey, could there potentially be another um, line of business off of that? Absolutely. Right. Is it safe to say that the creation of Rebo Global with these real estate virtual assistants and now the new medical VAs, that both of these were basically born out of your own pain points of running those businesses. You doing all of the real estate deals that you were doing and realizing that there was so much stuff that you were doing on a day-to-day basis that were just pulling you down from not doing all the income generating tasks. And I would assume that if you know, I know medical device salespeople, they're constantly on the road, right? There's like, they're traveling a lot and, and I'm sure that they're spending all this time when they're not on the clock, just trying to catch up on all the paperwork and follow up. So I'm wondering if what Beth is doing is bringing those 22 years to saying, okay, here's all the things that I wish I had when I was out doing this. Yeah, you know, it's actually pretty interesting that you say because she's she's she was in um, uh, pharmaceutical sales as well and and infertility and things like that. And um, her mother actually works as a nurse. So we always talk about, you know, at, at every day about different pain points and, and what help is needed. So as soon as Beth joined the team um, and started, you know, working with me and, and as business partners, that's the first thing she said. She said, you know what, this will work in medical offices because, you know, they need help doing insurance verifications, prior authorizations, et cetera. So she knew right away, you know, what, how we can move and create a line of business uh, within our real estate side, but create a whole new branch of medical. So I can't, I can take zero credit on the medical (laughs) side. So I'm going to, I'll give her all the credit there. And she's, uh, yeah, she's an incredible business owner as well. So uh, it's very impressive to see what she's done with that and continues to do on a daily basis. So um, 100%. Yeah. Great. Yeah. When did that start again? So that started, I believe, two years ago. Um, yep. That one started two years ago. So we tested. It's really, you know, one of the, one of the takeaways, too, I want everyone to realize is that, you know, owning a business, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. You know, so what you did a really good job of is, and I keep saying this foundation, but I think every business and every business owner should look out two, three, four, five, six years, not only year one. So it took us, we really spent that first year working with, I think, and I could be wrong, probably about four to five clients on the med side to make sure that we built up that foundation and built up the systems, built up the training, built everything up the right way, rather than going out and and just marketing because anyone can sell, right? You could sell, but if you can't fulfill your business is going to go down. So there's always a lot of different things you got to look at in business, but it starts first with the foundation and then you could start adding in more and more clients or customers, whatever industry you're in. Yeah. And I, and I've heard you in past podcasts also, you know, express how important it is to do the testing and how much testing that you've done to make sure that all of this worked before you just kind of threw it out there. And not only that, but like you said earlier, made a huge point, which was that you use the services yourself. You figure out what works and what doesn't work, which is really important. Right. So. Yep. And it's an investment too, Joe. It is definitely an yeah. investment and that's okay. You got to reinvest back in your business. That's, that's the way I look at it. Sorry to interrupt you. Go ahead, Joe. Yep. No, 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 not at all. So I, I know you have a phone call coming up. So I wanted to, um, I wanted to just give you the floor to, to, you know, if there's anything else that we missed about Revo Global, um, you know, what's the best way for people to get in contact with you um, you know, any of that stuff that, that someone is sitting there going, man, I've been thinking about this. And there, like I said, the, the state of Arizona alone with all the real estate agents here, you, you guys could, you know, probably never take a client <laughs> anywhere else in the world. I don't know how they're all here, but they are. Um, but just, know. you know, this is your chance to sort of plug what, what you do and how, what's the best way for people to start this process and, and, you know, 
I can tell already from you, this is not like a hard sell thing. It's, it's just, Hey, you know, this is what we do. These are the processes. This is how you figure out what you can hand off. Um, so the floor is yours. Yeah, absolutely. No, I appreciate that. Yeah. And, and like you said, if anyone's looking for any assistance um, with any real estate needs, any medical, your medical office, or you know anyone, definitely send them our way. We, we um, I like to say that we are one of the premier companies um, in the United States on, on staffing services. So if you're looking for any virtual assistance in the real estate um, business, whether it's uh, property management, whether it's mortgage, whether it's uh, agents, um, investors, et cetera, definitely reach out to us. We have, we have a, uh, Calendly link on our website too. If you want us to do a, uh, consultation as well to see, you know, if it's a good fit for you, we'll do that with you as well. Um, and just, yeah, check us out, try us out. Um, it's Reva global, R E V a global.com. Um, if you want to reach out to me, it's Bob at Reva global.com. Uh, check us out if you're on the medical side as well. There's a link on, on the website. But um, yeah, anything that you need, um, you have any questions, you can find me also on Facebook, on Instagram, uh, under Reva Global uh, Real Estate. Real Estate. And um, yeah, that's really about it. Um, I just want to thank you, Joe, obviously, for taking the time out of your busy schedule as well to have me on your podcast. So appreciate that. Yeah, it's it's my pleasure. And um I think you should also plug your own podcast too. That's right. Friday coffee break on Friday That's mornings right. at, at 10 a.m. <laughs> Eastern standard time. So I am probably Joe, I'll be honest with you, I'm probably the worst self promoter you, you will ever see, but Hey, it is what it, it is. What it is. So no, that's okay. So is, <laughs> is that the actual name of it on, if they go to like Apple podcasts, is it, is it morning coffee break? It's Friday, uh, Friday coffee break. Sorry, Friday coffee break. Okay. Yep. All right. Perfect. So I just want to make sure that they can find it there and, um, and hook up with you guys. So Bob, I, I appreciate your time. Awesome. And this was very interesting and, uh, you've alleviated some virtual assistance fear for me, um, which I was hoping to get out of it. It was a very, this was definitely a selfish podcast for me because <laughs> I wanted to learn all about it. And, um, I could talk to you. The second selfish episode would be me going, Bob, how do I get my first house and flip it? So that'll be a different one. <laughs> <laughs> hey, call, call me anytime. Call me anytime. All right. Well, I really appreciate your time and uh, I wish you the best of luck. And uh, once again, Reva Global Real Estate Virtual Assistance, also Medical Virtual Assistance. Um, have a great rest of the year and much success in 2022. Awesome. You too. You as well. And thanks a lot, Joe. Have a great day. All right, Bob, you take care. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and I want to thank you for listening to my podcast. I know you have many options to listen to various podcasts, and I'm honored that you chose to listen to mine. I would love it if you would rate my podcast five stars and write a nice review. It really helps to bring up the rankings of the podcast to other listeners. Once again, thank you so much for listening to The Joe Costello Show. I appreciate you very much.